Life in Sense. Gabriel Stebbing is otherwise known as Nightworks. He's played in bands for years, notably as a member of Metronomy and Your Twenties. But the new Nightworks album, Urban Heat Island, is his first entirely self-written and produced creation. Nightworks was launched with its identity somewhat shrouded in mystery last year, with the release of a succession of three singles. Last March, The Guardian noted from a press shot, correctly, that one of them may be a man with incredibly soft hair. By the end of the year, Gabriel had let himself out of the bag. And, as I've had the privilege of knowing for some years, there's an awful lot more to him than exceptionally soft hair. He talks to me about the new album and the smells he associates with the creative process, touring with bands and memories of time spent with family. But what's the earliest thing, the earliest smell he can remember? I don't think I can remember any really dim and distant, you know, scents from the cradle or anything like that. Probably quite an early age would have been the smell of bread being made by my mother. There was a lot of home baking going on. You know, it was partly an economy thing and it was partly because, you know, wanting to put good food into her children would make make her own bread and very nice bread (laughs) it was too, so... So yeah, I would say that the smell of baking, filling the house, and specifically bread, nothing fancy, kind of wholemeal and doughy, and that would have been pretty early, I think. And then my dad as well was also a a uh, very um, accomplished cook. So I think food smells weren't just something they were. They were kind of every, they were everywhere in the homes of my respective parents. It wasn't just part of the environment it was actually like an activity the especially kind of cooking with my dad was uh something that that was some maybe some fathers and sons kind of kick kick balls or kick you know kick a football around and we didn't really do that but we did we did he would kind of bring me into the into the kitchen and sort of quite and you know we'd make stuff together yeah just smelling would be uh, I mean, you have to you smell all the time, don't you? You want to you want to check that things are things are good, so you stick your <laughs> stick your nose in. I suppose I I think of those food smells as being a kind of yeah like a like a yeah like an activity. They're they're fruits of an activity. They're fruits of kind of learning and kind of getting involved of expanding your kind of repertoire in life. Like smell, it's not just it's not a background. It's a kind of a foreground. Yeah, so always food. So the Nightworks album, it's my debut in the fact that it's the first album that I've been sort of solely responsible for writing and producing. Well, I'm not solely responsible for producing it. And I wanted to make an album that was kind of personal to me in terms of its in terms of the songwriting, but that also spoke about my experiences of living in London over the last few years. I was I got really interested in the repercussions of the financial crash and the kind of people that you rub up against if you live in London who have kind of played 
high stakes with their money and your money and their... I like to think they've kind of gambled or gambled with their own kind of psychosis in a way. So I wanted to make a record that was about people losing their minds as much as losing their money and that kind of related related somewhat to kind of my personal experiences of living in London at the time. I mean, where I, I live and work is East London and it seemed to me that, you know, you've got these worlds that are almost spinning in different universes. You've got you've got this group of people in the city who are almost a, a world apart working in this kind of game of their own creation. And you've got a group of young people, probably sort of similar to myself and yourself, who are not necessarily from London, but are all living in very close proximity to the city and kind of working on their own ventures, whether they're artistic or... And then you've got, you know, you've got, you've got Londoners who have been here for many generations and are kind of, you know, who, who live kind of in the shadow of these, these, <laughs> these, these towers and are kind of, in, in some ways, getting the raw end of, of the deal influxes of populations from all over the world who are kind of making London their home. I mean, it's a really, really heady, within a really small geographic area, within a few square miles, you've got this incredible mix and people you kind of run up against all kinds of characters, I suppose, in the area where I live. I wanted it to throw up a sort of visual... I wanted you to be almost to be able to see it the album's full of people. It's kind of quite heavily populated. You know, some of the songs I'm kind of writing in character, but really they're they're sort of they're all parts of they're all facets of, of me or my friends or people that I've known. They're not not hardly any of them are, are completely imagined out of nowhere. And so I wanted to um, make an album that was almost like a it was it it had a sense of. That every that everybody with all 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 these these people were kind of under a similar sort of pressure, in a way, and that, that the mood of the album, musically as well as lyrically, might give a sense of, you know, this kind of particular, kind of dusky, like a kind of a a, a, a dancing a dancing kind of towards the precipice kind of feel. It's quite sympathetic. At the same time, yeah. Not necessarily. <laughs> completely positive about all of the, mm. the characters in which it's talking about, but it is very kind of sympathetic to their plights and stories, and there is this escalating sense of we're all in this together. I find it really difficult to be pessimistic, and I also, you know, despite everything, and I also find it very difficult to be cruel. There's probably, there's plenty of other people who, who could be, and probably are, or would be, in, to, to, to these kind of people. I find it very difficult to criticise or judge but I find it really fascinating trying to understand people's motivations although I'm not necessarily in love with a lot of the what's happening within the album in the same way that I'm not in love with what's happening in the wider what I see around the wider environment what I see around me I, I'd rather try and understand where people are coming from so that would be where the sympathy aspect that's you know I'm 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 pleased that you've picked up on that because I would I wouldn't like people to listen to the record and think that I'm being cynical. What would it smell like? What the album smell like? Well, I'd like to think it would smell a bit like like a like a Negroni. <laughs> I like to think that it would smell of kind of bitter like it would smell of bitter her, bitter aromatic herbs and sweetness and a bit of citrus burnt citrus and yeah that's what I think. 
a bit of alcohol. A bit of alcohol, yeah, quite a lot of alcohol. I don't think that my... What's the technical term? My... Nose? My nose. <laughs> yeah, it is the nose. I don't think that it's that developed. It's like learning a, a technical language, isn't it? Moving on from food, I when I was uh, when I left university, when I left college, I then went on to I worked in a wine shop for two and a half years, and uh, we were sort of encouraged to try and get to know wine and to drink it quite a lot of it, and also to kind of develop the nose and develop your so so that was kind of like. Um, it's, it's all very well, like, sticking your nose into something and smelling it, but then there's actually, like, finding the, the set of words to go with it. It's like, you know, you have to... You, to look at the colour blue, you don't know it's bl- blue until you learn, know the word for it. And so in that sense, I still think I'm kind of an, I'm an amateur. I mean, I'm an amateur when it comes to, to smell. <laughs> I'm no expert. You know, it's possible to just enjoy anything in your life to a certain degree just plainly on its own terms without any level of understanding whether that's music whether you just hear a piece of music or whether you're you know watching film or looking at a building or whatever but once you kind of push slightly beyond that and you kind of get into context and you get into the technical you kind of realize that every every kind of micro scene that you want to get into whether it's like Dixieland jazz or French cinema of the 20s or whatever go down the rabbit hole and the more that you learn kind of about the scenes and the kind of language it opens it opens it up to you so much more context kind of and understanding kind of brings this richness of experience I think I think I value like the expertise expertise or something that you get from really investing heavily in something uh so like the jazz things like I don't really know anything about jazz and but I, I like to think that if I you know I'm I'm kind of what I'm, I'm not halfway through my life. I'm kind of a third of the way through my life. Or, or well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's hope I'm a third of the way through my life. So I've still got another two lifetimes, and I reckon that in that time, I could know so much about jazz that I the kind of the pleasure of the experience of it would grow exponentially. You know, with my the more I find out about it, so to speak. writing music my kind of immediate environment becomes a lot more important to me than it it would have when I'm kind of not writing which is a process that I I'm just beginning again now because I'm starting to think about the second um, Nightworks album yeah my immediate environment become, takes on an exponentially larger amount of importance it's to do with number one creating an environment in which I feel comfortable and also but also maybe just tricking myself kind of mentally into a state where I feel kind of relaxed and part of that is to do with how I travel and I think that the to how I travel to and from the studio because I go to a studio every day I go to my studio every day to work when I'm writing I walk and I think partly the walking is to do with getting a, a, a footfall like a rhythm that's that starts to you know I think there's a reason that quite a lot of music's 120 BPM is because a lot of music that gets you kind of dancing or gets you moving is 120 BPM because it's something to do with 
not just dancing, but with footfall and kind of natural rhythm when you're walking at a pace that's, you know, that feels comfortable. And I also think that the act of walking from A to B, from my house in Clapton to my studio in Old Street, which is about three and a half miles, it kind of gives me just that amount of sort of sensory stimulation that I need to, I don't know, get into, access some kind of, get out of my conscious mind slightly. I mean, I love walking. I love walking either when it's raining or just after it's rained in London. I think that's, like, I think London is, not only does it look fabulous when it's been raining or is raining, I mean, the colours are just, like, phenomenal. It's kind of, you know, the, I mean, it's the greyest place in the world. But the smell of, of you know, of, of wet London and leaves and, um, uh, and kind of tarmac at this time of year, I find extremely I don't know I find uh, inspiration isn't the, isn't the right word maybe it's it's it fires something I suppose if you're writing music you're looking for tension and release like and I suppose it's the same whether you're you know if you're making art or if you're dancing or, or writing like you're trying to kind of build it's, it's how you it's how you tell your story you know uh, not not just in the lyrics but actually in the, the tone and the feel of the music itself and I think that you know rain rain falling is I mean it changes it changes a city it changes an environment it changes wherever you are you know like it's a it's it's a and it can change incrementally it can change it very quickly Lots of people have um, smells from when they were a teenager. Oh, right, yeah. That are quite often wrapped up in with that horrible process of emerging from a dark <laughs> suburban chrysalis into a human being. There's kind of like the Lynx body spray thing. Has anyone ever said that? Uh, no, but interesting. <laughs> I think this is interesting because that's something that I can certainly relate to. Yeah. But I think it's because a lot of the people I've interviewed are in there. 40s and 50s mm. and they all they all say very specific things about very loud 80s scents like poison which is something i right. can't relate to but okay. Lynx africa <laughs> yeah 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 Lynx africa is the sort of like everything else that you can buy or experience Lynx is kind of riffing on its own part like you know you can watch an advert for Lynx, and the way that Lynx is marketed is kind of it's it's very cleverly sort of exposing itself, you know. It's it's exposing its own flaws and the, it's its own mythology. It's kind of you know it's using it as something that it can laugh that everybody can laugh with it and at themselves and you know and you can still kind of be a hit with the ladies. But back in the mid nineties, the the links effect was very real. Just everybody stank of links. The boys smelled of links. It was horrible. It was just trudging trudging across wet, damp. Uh, I don't know, playing fields, suburban schools and links being the smell that you left the changing rooms to and the smell that you kind of came back to and mild depression. <laughs> I'd say quite strong depression. Yeah, quite okay, but there you go. Were you much of a sportsman? I, I have to say, no, I wasn't. I was always the, I was always picked last. Yeah, the opposite of a sportsman. Can you remember what flavour of links Was it links Africa? Uh, you know, the, the smell of the changing room was, was probably links Africa, which had a kind of... Um, 
cinnamony. Cinnamony, yeah. I think. But they picked their flavours in the same way that Lego pick their worlds. So I think there's like an Aztec one, maybe like an Under the Sea, mm. Atlantis one. Yeah. I don't know if there was a space one, but I wish there was. <laughs> they were sort of... I don't know. They must have tested them on... Well, they can't have tested them on girls. I don't know. Those yeah, smells. cages of girls. Cages of girls. <laughs> well, cages of boys. Whoever they te- tested them on really, you know, responded well to... You know the the to straightforward, intense. I don't know any teenage boys, um, but do they still smell of links? I couldn't possibly say. I don't think I had. I don't think I I had links. I think it was part of my 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 you know my rebellion. My statement was that I didn't have links, but you know I probably had the supermarket own brand version or just something that was smelled like links but wasn't. A kind of cool Adidas, cool Adidas or something. It was an Adidas spray that was, I think it was cool flavour, because you know if you wear it you're cool. And Adidas is cool, isn't it? Three stripes, Britpop. We, you know, you're not links. You're not kind of, you're, you're Adidas instead. I was obviously aware that such things existed that made you smell nice or different, that weren't <laughs> that weren't underarm deodorant in a spray canister. And it, but the fir- my, I think my first experience of aftershave was the first time of actually putting some on was the first time that I went to um, one of the first times I got drunk, terribly drunk. I went to to Paris because my older brother was living there at the time and. Uh, I must have just gone to visit him, but I was very young. I was probably too young for to be going out drinking. But you know, if you're thirty, you know, children in Paris drink, don't they? <laughs> of course. So I remember going to. We went the first place that we were taking. My brother's seven years older than me, or eight, so he would have been twenty or twenty-one. I would have been thirteen, and just a little squirt, you know, just a little, not having any idea what was going on. You know, the total level of alcohol that I ingested was probably extremely low, but by the end I was kind of spinning merrily. And what we did on the way was was we went past, um, you know, in, in Paris there are pharmacies, like virtually on every block, on every corner, and they had there was, there was this pharmacy that had... I don't know if it was specific to this one, but it can't maybe it was a chain. That outside there was an aftershave in a dispenser, like free, that you could just... Maybe it was... Um, uh, I mean, it was obviously really cheap, like not... Not nice at all. Like just a sp- it was just a, like a kind of a spray, a hand pump type thing. I can't remember what the unit was like. And I remember, and um, yeah, my elder brother and his friend were going past, and they were just like, "Wait, <laughs> like we, you know, a bit of fun." Put someone, Gabriel. You know, you might get lucky. <laughs> I put some of this aftershave on, and I remember it. Yeah, just smelling quite disappointing, <laughs> quite kind of sharp. But it was free, so. And did you get lucky? No, no, God, no, no. No, I got, I got, I think I, I, uh, I just kind of, uh, I got extremely sick from, uh, from, yeah, cheap cocktail and red wine. I spent a good deal of, uh, I spent a good few years 
touring in a band called Metronomy playing bass and for I would say for the first couple of years we toured we played almost exclusively in England with kind of odd trips here and there to European cities and then for the last year also before I left the band we kind of we did we we went everywhere that you could kind of expect kind of reasonably expect that people would want to see live music of the sort that we did as kind of electronic pop or whatever at the time and uh, so we went to you know all, all over Europe and to America a few times uh, North America Canada and the USA a few times we went to Australia and Japan part of the, our experience involved playing venues and clubs where we would headline and at, at that t- you know we'd go on last it would be our show and at that time if we were pl- if the place that we ha- were playing had a roof like it wasn't a festival we'd be playing some quite small venues and then we'd go up to playing you know there are a couple of tours that we did supporting much bigger bands a couple of the venues that we played there would be like getting towards our ice hockey arena kind of size or you know 8,000 I think what you'd realise is that a, a venues of similar sizes or of similar types have a very similar smell around the world. So I guess it's globalisation effect. It's sort of, you know, in the same way that a gap store, a large gap store looks looks and is is pretty much the same whether it's on Broadway or in you know, on Oxford Street. The, you know, the bigger the bigger the, the bigger the venue, I would say, the the less they smell. Some of the these fantastic kind of mid size they're kind of state run. There's a lot of public money going into into kind of mid-sized venues in France and they're all just kind of pristine and 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 the the facilities are wonderful everything's new like all the mixing desks have you ever I don't know if you'd if you've there's a smell that like new electronic or new audio equipment has like it's very particular like kind of metal and just I would love to smell my recording equipment okay I'll smell it yeah it's it's uh it's a kind of a a kind of slightly graphite slightly high kind of, you know, metallic, I don't know. It's quite powdery. Almost. Yeah, right. But it's also quite high up in the back of the head. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, I'd agree. For the benefit of the listeners, Joe just smelt the, the sort of foam attachment on the top, and I was trying to smell the, the buttons. <laughs> kind of mid-sized French venues, they smell of kind of, of new electrical equipment, and of, and then the canteens smell fabulous, because you're... You're, you're, everybody eats together and it's cooked for by uh, a kind of a, a staff that's employed by the venue. It's not like it's not like turning up in the UK to to your show and getting like a a warm carling and a pack of crisps. Like they really care that you're there and there's one there's amazing food. But of course, once you're outside this, everything's air conditioned and you know backstage everything's air conditioned and smooth and yeah, it has that high sort of how do you put it that kind of powdery high note of everything just having had the cellophane just ripped off the the electrical the the, the screens I don't know so Gabriel's bringing in about about 20 <laughs> perfume bottles of very different kinds I'm at this point uh, a bit daunted and, and it's a shame that Odette Toilette is not here. I brought in um, two, four, six, eight bottles of uh, fragrance that used to belong to my father, who died last year, 
and uh, I couldn't... When we were sort of clearing out his house, I, I found... They were sort of secreted in various bathroom cupboards and so on. So I don't actually know which... I mean, I remember him smelling... I mean, he, especially in his later years, he used to wear fragrance a lot. His particular illness made it more and more difficult for him to taste the food and wine and so on that he enjoyed. So he found that, I think, scent kind of took on a new and extra significance. He enjoyed smelling good. Um, so there were flowers in the house more often and so on. So, yes, when I was sort of going going through his uh, his things, I thought, well, it would be a terrible shame to for them to go to go to waste. I mean, you certainly wouldn't get rid of a selection like this. It's it's uh, it's quite quite fine, really. So I so since they've come into my custodianship or whatever you want to call it, I've found myself wearing fragrance every day, which is something that I didn't I just didn't do. Everything we've got here is it's all in the same kind of mood. But do you find a do you find yourself drawn to particular bottles on particular days based on what the hmm. weather's like or how you feel? The Yves Saint Laurent, for some reason, I think is more of a. I see it as more every. I probably wear it the most. This really powdery one, which is pour an homme de caron, C A R O N. It's a bit more really. Yeah, it's 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 I it's it's. For me, this one's the sort of this one's the sort of uh, like like the romantic one. This is the one that I wear if I want to like feel a bit sort of you know a bit of the flaneur maybe. This one is like this one is the my favourite, and this is um, Azaro Potom, and this is a kind of this is an eve. This is going out, I think. I think this is kind of the coolest one. And this is the most Luton Airport point of sale. It is the Davidoff Summer Fizz. I mean, I can almost imagine him grabbing it from the display now on his way somewhere. But I actually really, I really like it. It's the, it's kind of, it's, it's, it doesn't make any apologies for, you know, just being really simple. That's quite nice. And then Isimiyaki, which is. Which is uh, the first, the first um, fragrance that I remember noticing and thinking, "Oh, this smells nice." I think maybe the reason, probably the reason, I first started trying on or trying smelling fragrances, the first time I noticed would have been the probably because of the CK one ads in the nineties. Lots of models wearing um, kind of very androgynous clothing, like vests and and jeans with androgynous haircuts, like tons of them, all colours, and, you know, like, we're all one big family on Earth. It's very late 90s, and it kind of, you know, the idea was that you could just buy this thing, this fragrance, and it would, I don't know, make you into... make you into one of the... one of the global family or something. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> sort of in the same place to an extent yeah yeah and some of my strongest memories are of the place where my mum has spent her whole working life which mm. is also the same place that your dad spent yeah. his whole working life 
Do you have any memories of that place? The Department of Typography and Graphic Communication at the University of Reading. The department. (laughs) The department. That was another one of my early scent memories, I would say. Because, I I mean, I immediately started talking about bread and food earlier. The The other half of that, the other side of that coin, is the smell of ink and the smell of paper and the smell of... Yeah, that, that particular smell of, like, ink and rubber in the department. It's like, you know, you could... They'll, they'll probably, if they ever knock down the uh, the buildings of the department, which they really should because they're prefabricated, they're only meant to exist for three years or something, they've been there for 50 or 60, um, they'll probably find that the ink has just seeped into the ground underneath, you know. The whole place will just be a smudge. It smells... It smells... Phenomenal. It smells phenomenal. It also, there's something about picking up and smelling something, a paper book periodical that's been newly printed. And that could be, I mean, that could be in the, you know, it could be something that someone's been doing in the department or which was kind of, I don't know, you could go to a newsagent and pick up a new magazine, like fashion periodicals, the big one, the really big ones, smell the big glossy thick ones when they're fresh. I really think with this, it's something, the more money you spend on something, the better it smells in terms of print production. If you smell mass-produced leaflets, they smell rubbish. But if a big, glossy fashion magazine smells really good. It smells really good, yeah. I love the way that, that, that books kind of have a, have a they kind of, their, their smell ages with them. You know, so a freshly printed book will smell kind of spanking fresh. And, you know, like, the waft, you know, it's the waft. There's something about it. It's almost like when you crack it open, yeah, when you crack, you crack the spine and it releases. <laughs> yeah, I guess And there's only so many times you can do that before it fades. Before it fades, yeah. I imagine cracking the spine of a new book is a bit like doing the twist of lemon oil onto a martini. It's the releasing these oils, like, into the immediate atmosphere. It gets more supple. And it doesn't release, it doesn't release these these particulates into the environment but so you have to kind of get in closer you know and as a book ages it smells you know it smells more and more settled and kind of you know it's kind of like a person I suppose ink ink and books Hmm. and the other thing just about your dad at his funeral when he everybody carried in a or had the option to pick up a sprig yeah it was a sprig of rosemary because I think it's it has associations with re- with remembrance. The idea was that you would take up take up a sprig and then, as you walked out and passed, and the service was over, you could put the sprig on his on the coffin. And by the end, it was covered in this amazing fragrant, like huge piles of rosemary, like enormous, like almost completely covering it. It was a really extraordinarily vivid moment I mean you know it's it, it would have it would have been it would have been extraordinarily vivid with or without the, the rosemary but there's something you know that's that, that vision and that smell that kind of yeah I mean it was all cut that that morning from friends of ours gardens and and brought along especially in great huge fragrant baskets so yeah kind of smell from the start really with uh, with my dad it was it was Printer's ink and and uh, and books and uh, food and then wine, flowers, fragrance and then rosemary at the end. So yeah, quite all 
all very, all very big, heady smells, really. This has been Life and Sense with Gabriel Stebbing of Nightworks. The debut album, Urban Heat Island, is released on the 4th of March through Loose Lips Records. You've been listening to some of the album in the background throughout this programme. He's active, relevant and hilarious as NGHTWRKS on Twitter, Odette and I less so as Life Incense. All our previous episodes are still available for download through iTunes. Why not subscribe? Life in Sense.